This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 8 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funihet and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Funihet. Good morning, Randy. Good morning, Lynn. In this episode, we're excited for you to hear from Keith Sawyer, one of the country's leading scientific experts on creativity. Dr. Sawyer is the Morgan Distinguished Professor in Educational Innovations at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. His 2007 book, Group Genius, shows us how to be more creative in collaborative group settings, how to change our organizations for the better, and how to tap into our own reserves of creativity. His 2013 book, Zigzag, identifies the stages, eight of them, of the creative process and contains over 100 techniques to enhance personal creativity. Uh, we actually created a previous podcast about this topic, so we're really excited to get to talk with Keith. The man himself, in person. Welcome <laughs> to the show, Keith. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. Terrific. It's Good great morning. To, great to have you spend some time uh, talking to us about your work and your book. So let's start it off. Uh, in a book called The More Beautiful Question, author Warren Berger describes a beautiful question as one that's ambitious and actionable. So what is the beautiful question behind ZigZag? I love the title of that book because one of the things we know from creativity research is the key to good creativity is often asking the right question or posing the problem in the right way. So let me think about my own book, uh, I've been a creativity researcher for over 20 years. Uh, as a scientist, we often publish fairly arcane and hard-to-read <laughs> academic articles, and I've written a lot of books like that that are very scholarly. So what I wanted to do in the book ZigZag was to take that research and translate it into something usable, something useful that could help everybody be more creative every day. It's one of those things that... Uh, we start with the research and then try to develop actionable advice, something everybody can use to enhance their own personal creativity. Yeah, and definitely that's one of the things that drew us to your work and your book and, and, and your book ZigZag was that practical nature of it. Um, being practitioners you know, in, in the K-12 education realm, uh, it's something that we can easily connect with. So we really um, look forward to digging into some of the ideas here. And you offer this eight-step framework as a practical um, application or starting point. Can you talk with us about the eight steps or practices and how you understand them to be nonlinear? That's a good point because when you talk about steps or stages, it makes it sound like they're linear. Uh, but one of the key findings of, 
uh, my own research and that of my colleagues. It's really the collective research of the whole creativity research community that I've captured in this book. We know that the creative process is wandering and nonlinear. When you start at the beginning, you may think you need to go down a certain path, but as you go down that first path, you quickly realize that you need to go in another direction. You realize you may have asked the question in the wrong way. Things emerge unexpectedly as you go through the process. And that's why I called the book Zigzag. That's a visual metaphor for this wandering, unpredictable nature of the creative process. And while you're going through that process, creative people tend to engage in these eight different stages or steps or maybe call them habits of mind or, or ways of thinking. There are eight different ways that your mind uh, thinks while you're engaging in creativity. So this book is based on psychological research. We know what goes on in the mind when people are being creative. And these are the eight different ways your mind works when you're being creative. The first one is how the right questions lead to the most novel answers. I call it ask. Asking the right question often leads to better creativity. The second is the importance of learning. You need to prepare your mind to be creative. You need to fill your mind with everything that's known about your question, about your problem. That's why I call this second step learning. The third step I call look. It's a matter of being aware of what's going on in your environment, of learning a lot that's related to your problem, sometimes in very distant ways, not necessarily exactly related to your discipline or your daily job. The fourth step I call play, and that refers to the importance of what we call incubation, taking time off from the problem, letting your mind wander. Sometimes we think about it as imagination. Uh, that's the fourth step, which often leads to the fifth step, which is actually having ideas. I call that one think. Uh, and it's interesting, most people, when they think about creativity, they think it's all about having a great idea. And a lot of creativity techniques are focused on how to have more ideas. But based on the research, that's really only one out of the eight habits of mind. And you really won't have good ideas unless you engage in all seven or eight of these mental activities. So that's step five is having the ideas. Step six is fusing ideas together. You're going to have lots of ideas if you're engaging in an effective creative process. And we also know from psychological research, good ideas often are combinations of ideas that you've already had. You bring together, in many cases, very different or distant ideas tends to result in a more surprising creative insight. The seventh step is a matter of choosing which of the ideas you want to pursue. But it's a certain kind of choosing where you don't necessarily reject some ideas and select other ones. It's a matter of editing, revising, improving. Uh, often you may reject an idea and later you realize that, well, an aspect of it actually was pretty good. And that's another way you have this creative process wandering and unpredictable. And the final step uh, is making things, getting your ideas out into the world, externalizing your ideas. You, you tend to be less creative if you just sit and think. Uh, you're more creative when you actually do something. In particular, getting the idea out of your head and into some visible form, whether it's a sketch or a three-dimensional model, 
uh, anything where you can look at it and interact with it and share it with other people. When you do that, it often, again, takes off in a different direction that you would not have been able to predict if you hadn't uh, put it out there in the world. So you've, you've taken your research and the research of other creativity specialists and you've, you've synthesized them into a really um, understandable framework of these eight steps. And for us in the, in the K-12 education field, that allows this idea of creativity and the creativity process to be very accessible. And um, further in your book, you've taken these eight uh, steps and you've outlined many, many different techniques um, that can be useful for us because oftentimes we hear in our world, we'll hear, we'll hear teachers or other leaders say things like, you know, I'm not creative or how am I supposed to teach my students to be creative when I'm not creative? So you really provide us uh, in the book, not only with a framework, but with lots of techniques to help us approach this concept of creativity and uh, improve our own uh, mindsets around this. Could you share a couple of the techniques in a couple of the different uh, in the couple of different areas that we as uh, learners might uh, engage with to improve our skills uh, in the various mindsets. Well, one of the most exciting things about this creativity research is that we have discovered that there really is no such thing as a creative personality. There, there is no such thing as a creative person. You're not born with it. It's not a personality trait. It's really this set of practices, these habits of mind that anyone can learn. Anyone, if they engage in these eight steps, these eight stages, these eight ways of thinking, anyone can and will be creative. So that's, that's a really important take-home message from the research. So mm -hmm. it's not a matter of being a creative type of person. It's a matter of acting in ways that are associated with successful creativity. So it's having that open mindset and approaching it like we can grow and we can learn and we can improve this skill of creativity. That's right. And of the 100 or so techniques I have in the book, these are all associated with research that suggests exceptional creators engage in these activities. And it's those activities that lead to successful creativity. And this works in any field, any discipline. Uh, for example, uh, one of the techniques I associate with the first step, which is asking really good questions, is just to sort of stretch your mind. It's like an exercise to get yourself thinking about how to ask good questions. I call it try 10 questions. And what you do is you start with, it could be any object, any random object. I uh, suggest things like cardboard boxes or electricity and then think of 10 questions about any one of these. Force yourself to write down 10 different questions about cardboard boxes, for example, <laughs> uh, and write them down on a piece of paper. Like I said, externalizing your ideas is important. And then once you've done that, then try to ask 10 different questions about the problem you're currently trying to solve. And just that way of exercising your mind, most people, when they're faced with a problem, they think they know the right way to ask the question. They think they know the right way to pose the problem. And they jump ahead to trying to solve that question. The importance of these exercises is that it forces you to stop. Before you start trying to solve a problem, first come up with 10 different ways of thinking about, ways of asking that question. 
we recently did something with questioning with our admin team about data and it was hard for us. It was difficult for us to come up with questions. And I think if we had used the strategy of um, ask 10 questions about a box or something external to our, to our challenge, we would have been more successful um, and it would have been a more comfortable process. So that's a great, that's a great point. So some of these other um, habits that you, the habits that you've identified and the strategies that you've identified, um, I saw on the website you have the new zigzag creativity cards. Are those the strategies that are in those cards? What I did, all the, I'm glad you mentioned that because these are just now available. It's a very well-designed, I hired some great graphic designers and illustrators to create, it's actually a real card deck you know, with a, 54 cards. They, you look, know, the fi they look awesome, yeah. Oh, I'm really happy about how the creative team developed mm -hmm. these. And as with a card deck, you, I couldn't put all 100 techniques because you don't have that many cards. I ended up with 48 techniques. And you know, some of them in the book take several pages. I couldn't pick those. It has to fit on a card. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, there was a selection process of the 48 that ended up in the card deck. And, you know, the interesting thing about cards is you can shuffle them. You can randomly draw a card. Uh, there are various uh, self-assessments you can do with the card deck uh, that are easier. You know, with a book, it's linear, right? You start from page one and you go to page 300. Uh, with the cards, you can make it a little more random, which uh, tends to lead to more interesting creativity. When I learned about the availability of the cards, I ordered my set. <laughs> <laughs> well, well thank it, it you. also models. Yeah, we definitely we're gonna check it out, try it out. I also like that you had sort of the um, daily creativity card of the day on the on the blog that you can you can look at and, and think about. But and the design is really nice that you have them articulated directly to the the habit that you identified too. So um, it reinforces the idea that the process is not linear, and um, you know you can try something else with whatever you're talking about. So nice tool. It looks like a nice tool that people will um, be able to really practically implement with, with teams and groups of people. So the next question is, so we have these, these various steps of the create, creative process, and uh, we live in a, a world where there's lots of technology and there's lots of access to technology. So how do you think access to technology amplifies or changes um, the way that we approach these stages or these habits of mind? Well, I guess at the most fundamental level, I don't think it changes. Uh, what, what the research I've represented is psychological research on how the mind works when it's engaged in a creative process. And, uh, you know, the, the basic ways that the mind thinks haven't changed because we have technology now. Uh, but, you know, I think it does make some of these techniques easier to execute. For example, the third technique, which I call looking or being aware of all sorts of information that may be very different from your problem. You know, in the old days, you would have to, I don't know, go to a library or subscribe to a bunch of weird magazines to expose yourself to very different sorts of ideas and theories. And now you have the internet where you can find out a little bit about everything on Wikipedia. So certainly I think it makes some of these techniques mm -hmm. or some of these practices a little easier to do than uh, they might have been before computers were available. So it basically makes them more efficient to complete some of them. Exactly. So maybe uh, gives you different ways of executing the same practices or same habits of mind. But the fundamentals of how exceptional creativity works haven't changed, right? right? These are just different 
different tools of uh, different ways to support your thinking, perhaps. Right. So the technology isn't going to alter alter them in any way. It more or less just makes them more efficient. Not all of them, uh, but some of them, you know, like uh, on the other hand, technology has disadvantages too. So this uh, third step of looking or being aware of what's around you, one of the techniques I recommend for just learning a, a little bit about a lot of different things is uh, when you're in a bookstore, go over to the magazine shelf and just pick up you know, five magazines that you would never read about really totally different stuff. I mean, I don't know, buy the tattoo magazine or the sewing and craft magazine or the sailboat magazine, right? Just pick five things you know nothing about and go through them. And when something just seems interesting to you, cut it out with a pair of scissors and keep a folder of all these things. And then later, take it and apply it to your problem. Now, that actually works better than going on Wikipedia and just sort of wander randomly surfing around because that selection process you're executing with Wikipedia, you're going to be guiding it. You'll be less likely to be surprised unexpectedly as when you sort of are leafing through a magazine. And I was also thinking about in some ways the technology could make some of these um, habits more transparent. So being able to share some of the thinking with others um, who might not be at the table with you at the time, being able to add different questions and bring people together, um, that might help in some of the, in some of the habits. So um, one more question that, that we have here um, that we're thinking about and, and talking with our guests about, what beautiful questions are you currently thinking about now? I'm really excited about a new research project that I've been working on for a couple of years and I'm about to wrap up. I've been studying how people teach in schools of art and design. Mm. And I mean professional schools uh, where you get a Bachelor of Fine Arts or a Master of Fine Arts degree could be I've been studying uh, the fine art programs like uh, painting and sculpture. <laughs> I've been studying design programs like bookmaking and advertising and graphic design, illustration. And I've also been studying architecture schools. Uh, and I'm finding incredibly exciting things about how these instructors think about designing learning environments to foster uh, successful work, uh, successful creative work. I've also been interviewing students, say Master of Fine Arts students in painting, about the ways they think about generating their work. Uh, just fascinating stuff. And uh, I have not found anyone who's done a research project like this. You cannot just go out and buy a book that tells you how people teach in schools of art and design. Mm -hmm. I remember listening to the Leader Lab podcast that you did where you were talking about um, art and architecture and the piles of books that you had that you were going through and, and looking at in the, the learn phase of your process. Right, because I couldn't believe that no social scientist had ever gone and observed what takes place in these uh, colleges and universities and documented it. So I, I just bought everything I could find about <laughs> studio art, college art, uh, the sorts of things people learn when they're trying to learn art, the sorts of things professional artists and designers do. I, I wanted to make sure, I, wanted, I said there must be something, uh, and there isn't. So now I have you know, a huge bookshelf, every one 
is a, <laughs> has a little bit that's helpful, but they don't mm-hmm. really. And, and uh, actually, when I interview instructors in these programs, I ask them, how did you learn how to teach the way you're teaching? Did you go get a book? Did you um, take a class on how to teach? Every single one of them said, no, I just figured it out by trial and error. Mm. I, I didn't learn it anywhere. And I guess in some cases that some of our teachers are figuring things out in trial and error also. Interesting right, connection. Right. Well, teachers, uh, you know, we do have our professional development programs, you know, mm-hmm. here in our school of education. Mm-hmm. Of course, we have the bachelor's degree and the master's degree where you can learn quite a bit about pedagogy, which is based in the science of how people learn. Uh, people who get their master of fine arts degree are typically the ones that are professors in schools of art, mm-hmm. design and architecture, and they never do take any classes in pedagogy. They really, right. they, they, that's not one of the requirements. They learn how to engage in their craft. Right. They're content experts, not, pedag- not pedagogical experts. Uh, not when they first start teaching. But right, these people, right. I, I interviewed people fast. who, yeah, they've been doing this for 10 or 20 years and they're, they're incredibly good at what they do. But uh, like I said, they learn on the job. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Keith. Um, certainly have given us a lot to think about and some things to take back to our team to help us grow in our creativity process as we um, develop a vision for our classrooms in, in 2020. Uh, for our readers we will link and, and listeners, we will link in our show notes some information about Keith. You can follow Keith on Twitter at Dr. Keith Sawyer. You can also check out his creativity cards at zzdeck.com. They're also available on Amazon. And we'll link to those in the show notes. Um, as you heard Randy said, we have ours. We're looking forward to trying them with our, with our um, teams as we work through our creative process. And Keith also has a website at keithsawyer.com. Each episode, we leave with a couple of questions for us to think about with the idea of provoking some conversation online. This episode's questions, which steps in the creative process are most evident in your work? And how can we develop a culture in our schools which supports the creative process? If you've enjoyed today's episode, would like to comment or just find out more about the resources and links we talked about in today's episode, check out the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for Season 2, Episode 8. We'd love for you to rate the show on iTunes. Let us know a star rating and consider leaving a one or two sentence review. If you have time to do so, that'll help new folks discover this content. That's it for now. We'll see you next episode for a conversation with another innovative thought leader. Thanks again, Keith. Oh, thank you very much. Take care, Lynn. Bye-bye. Bye. Want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.